You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. There's a writer named Cyril of Jerusalem that I found back when I was exploring the early Christian church. In his fourth century catechesis, he says, well, he asks those who are listening, he says, Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And taking himself the cup, giving thanks, he said, take, drink, this is my blood. He himself, therefore, having declared and said of the bread, this is my body, who will dare any longer to doubt? And when he himself has affirmed and said, this is my blood, who can ever hesitate and say it is not his blood? You know, when I read this, as a high schooler, still a sort of considering myself a Methodist sort of hipster reformer, I had no answer to this. You know? But I, I said, perhaps, you know, this is the fourth century. I've got to go back even further, back really to the beginning. And so St. Justin Martyr is writing in the mid-second century in his first apology, which, which means a defense, not apology as we think of it today. He says, we call this food the Eucharist. No one else is permitted to partake of it except those who believe our teaching to be true and who have been washed in the washing for the remission of sins, baptism, and is thereby living as Christ enjoined. For not as common bread or common drink do we receive these. But since Jesus Christ, our Savior, was made incarnate by the Word in God and had both flesh and blood for our salvation, he became a man, so too we are taught the food which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer is set down by him, and by the change of which our blood and flesh is nourished is both the flesh and blood of the incarnate Jesus. Now that whole letter, actually, not just that portion on the Eucharist, which is so beautiful and clear in such an early part of the church, just after the scriptures, really, it shook my world, because at the time, even though I was... I was Methodist, I was attending a Catholic school, so I had to go to Mass from time to time. And I couldn't help realizing how exactly the Mass reflected the whole description of their Eucharistic celebration in the mid-2nd century. And I found out later that I was not the first to kind of go back and explore the early Church Fathers. The Reformers in the 16th century called it to go ad fontes, back to the font. And everyone, everyone went back and in the hopes of finding some sort of beautiful, primitive community that, that preceded this sort of bulky and slow-moving, bureaucratic, systematic, demanding, and traditional Catholic Church of today. And instead, what I found in reading the Fathers was I think what, what John Henry Newman described really beautifully in his own journey as an acorn, an acorn of, an, of the early church which grew into the incredible oak tree of today. And now you, you can look at an acorn and then you look at an oak tree and they're visibly very different. They don't look at all like one another. And yet if you dig into the DNA structure of the acorn, the entire oak tree is there. It's all there from the very beginning. All it needs is time and 
nourishment. So I looked back at the early church to see what the Eucharist looked like then, and I found that it was already from the very beginning, at the very core of their celebrations, at the very core of that Sunday celebration, which was both sacrifice and banquet meal. So anyone who bothers to look will see that beautiful reality, the reality of Christ himself telling us in the gospel today, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And this reality was so central to everything that Jesus was saying that after continuing for another 16 verses to, to really drill it home, and, and when people start to grumble and say, this is so hard to believe, because it is hard to believe, the Eucharist is something that's difficult, although beautiful. It's like, how could, how could the Lord want this sort of intimacy? And many of them turned away and actually left. And he let them. Because he knew he couldn't, we could not survive without true communion. And it's as true today as it was in the first century that we cannot survive without true communion. Now, when I realized this reality and actually came to believe it, it was all over. You know, I couldn't rest until I received Jesus and his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I've seen so many others walk the same road, and perhaps many today in here are walking the same road. And it's an intimacy like no other because it's an intimacy with God himself. So the Eucharist has always been and will always be the thing that keeps us together in the church. And yet, throughout the history of the church, we also see this sort of tension where the Eucharist is often the thing that divides us. And we see it today as much as we saw it in any other time in the history of the church. You know, one faction would say that the Eucharist should be open to all, you know, never restricted by any sort of dissent from any teaching of the church, whether that's teachings on matters of doctrine or teachings on morality or whether that's the state of our soul or even being in full communion with the church, you know, like being Catholic, that we should never restrict the Eucharist on any grounds. And then another side would say, not only do all of those things really matter, but it also matters that we have to celebrate, it's, it's not even efficacious unless we celebrate the Eucharist according to the 1962 edition of the Roman Missal, or the 1955 edition, or the 1920 edition, or the 1884 edition, or the 1634 edition, or the OG 1570 Trent edition. Uh, go all the way back. I know people, even if you celebrate it in Latin, that's not good enough. We have to celebrate it in Greek. And then how about not even Greek? We've got to celebrate it in Aramaic, as Jesus himself would have. Uh, I don't know anyone who knows that language anymore. I had one professor, perhaps. So, perhaps... I didn't really name two sides. I guess I named a sort of full spectrum of opinions on how the Eucharist should be celebrated. And perhaps you find yourself somewhere along that spectrum. And if you do, then welcome to the family of the church. You know, in the Catholic Church, we're God's own sons and daughters, and therefore, we fight, because families fight. Our families fight, but we also don't leave one another. We just stay, and then we fight anyways. And, 
And there's nothing more worthy of fighting over or fighting for than the Holy Eucharist. As Lumen Gentium, the the dogmatic constitution of the Second Vatican Council, so worthily names the Eucharist as the fount and the very peak of the whole Christian life. You know, we care about the Eucharist. We care about every single detail surrounding the celebration of this beautiful sacrament. So once I was actually inaugurated into this, this great family of the church, and sort of honeymoon ended, you could say, and I didn't sort of see everything as beautiful and amazing anymore, I immediately found myself sort of planting my flag along, you know, one or another spot on that spectrum. I was getting caught up in the same sort of battle that everybody else seemed to be in. And I was sort of picking my camp, and, I, and it's changing all the time. Yet as I, as I grow and, and come to love the Lord more and, and the church more, and I, I kind of am moving more and more away from, I guess, my opinions on all of this and more just toward obedience. Because this very act, the, the very sacrificial act that Jesus gave us the Eucharist from, dying and rising again, was an act of obedience. And so without obedience, we have, we have nothing. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So without true communion, both communion in the Eucharist and communion with one another, we're nothing. We have no, commu- we have no community. There's no love there. We would just be a sort of highly organized and somewhat inefficient social work group who does some really odd stuff. Only within the shelter of this sacrifice of the Eucharist will we find true community, a community that has transformed the world. The Eucharist has changed the world definitively and continues to do so today and will continue to do so into the future. It's here that we find true love, for God himself, our Father, has united us as one body.